What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys just want to go ahead and get it started? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm Chase Gwenninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan goes. Hope everybody's doing well and surviving this heat. Yes. And today's guest is Wes Little. And Wes, you've been off on enough with us that I'm not going to ask you to tell us who you are. You're the migratory bird biologist. Yes, sir. Hello again. And you handle which species? So migratory game birds, doves, ducks, and geese, mostly gallinules, rails, uh, you know, a few oddballs, but uh, when we also cover wetland-dependent migratory birds. So uh, your non-game species like terns, gulls, things of that nature. And one of the reasons that you're on with us today is I'm, I've got the Kentucky hunting and trapping season dates, this big, nice orange poster that just got printed right here in front of me, and a lot of the species you just mentioned. Coming up. That's September right. 1st. Um, I'm seeing September 1st for dove, which is, of course, a big one, kind of. Yep. Everybody thinks that kicks off fall hunting, you know, and it kind of does. But there are other species that come in on September 1st, too. You said a rail, um, crow. What were some of the other ones you mentioned? Gavinol? Yep, gallinules. Gal yeah. Is that how you say that yep. word? I'm not a waterfowler. I've been pretty open about that. But that mm. word, when I when I read it, it's, I guess it is gallinule. Yep. Gallinule. Mm -hmm. yep. Got okay. two different species, the com common and purples. Yeah, they, they mostly just kind of come through here. We don't have a lot of them in Kentucky. Yeah. But What's, they are game bird species. They mainly West Kentucky? Mostly are going to be in your bigger wetland complexes. Now, there was a purple gallinule that was spotted this summer. I don't remember if it was Louisville or Lexington, but it was, I mean, right downtown. It got into landscaping and, and whatnot. So they, they come through, and you can see them in Do anywhere. they look unique enough where if somebody sees one, they're like, that's something different. There. It so looks like a purple coot so, so they reported it because yep. i thought i've never seen this before. looks like a purple coot that's a yep so everybody's familiar duck hunters especially are familiar with coots the black birds with the white beak on all over your lakes so yep. gallinules look very very much like a coot have so. you ever had gallinule i've not i've had i've eaten coot several times so no My brother has too and and i it, it's funny you coot hunters or not hunters, people that have eaten coot. Uh, I don't know that there's very many avid coot hunters, but, <laughs> well, now coot but it's either you hate the meat or you like it. Describe a coot to me again, because I, uh, like I said, I'm not a waterfowl hunter. Those are probably the, the out of all the animals in Kentucky, those are probably the ones that I'm yep. least, you know, I can I'm the, know the least about. So the coot. Yep, so the American coot in the wintertime, especially, they, they'll gather in large numbers on lakes, and you almost will think they can't fly the way they act. I mean, a bass mm -hmm. boat, runs over them because they just they're so slow to get off the water they're they're a diving bird um the water birds that go down yep they're yeah. black they've got a, a white beak with a little kind of crow little size, band on it say, yeah probably close to a crow size uh, smaller than a mallard obviously and uh but uh it's a game bird species as well down in louisiana it's it's a delicacy they call them poodoo and uh, they eat the gizzards down there and uh now, is that the same bird that I see down at the falls all the time, diving down and catching moon eye and skipjack and stuff, swimming underwater? I mean, they'll go under. This bird I'm seeing, and I should know the name of it, and I've called them coots before, but I might be wrong. But it'll, you know, I always look for them when I go fishing. I, wherever those birds are, that's where I want to try to get my lure because that's where the bait fish are. Yeah, if they're catching skipjacks and, and moon eye, I'm guessing they're, that's a bigger bird. Coots are not very big. Okay. Their, their beak is only a couple, okay, maybe yeah, inch this and a half big, long. This is a bigger bird. So that's probably a loon or one loon. of the bigger merganzers because mm -hmm. i mean at one time i was with a guy and he um cormorant? deep hook. could be a cormorant yeah yeah that's, that's probably about right. i've heard all these names before i've just you yeah. know i'm no expert and but one time a guy deep hooked a striper down there it was probably 15 or 16 inches long and he 
he's one of those guys that just cares about the fish so much. He did everything he could to get that fish revived. And it kind of started to swim off. And then about two minutes later, we saw one of those birds come up and choke that whole striper down its throat. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a cormorant. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably, if it's t- going after that size, it's probably a cormorant. And I put skipjack, you know, probably 10-inch, 12-inch skipjack on a circle hook before and tossed them out for catfish and mm-hmm. all of a sudden had a run. And it's it's been one of those birds. <laughs> and it, luckily, I've never hooked one. Yep. They're flying could, dolphins, I think. They hunt oh. in, in, in a, in a not in a pack, but, you know, in a they're, flock. They're so cool. They are. They're very cool birds. They'll, they'll uh, go underwater and stay underwater for yeah. 30, 45 seconds, pop up 100 yards away, and just, they, they remind me of, like, an otter or something almost. Yeah, yeah well, crappie fishermen, they don't they don't like them. But, yeah. and Do you we, think uh, they have any impact? No. Uh, so, matter of fact, uh, me personally, uh, we did a study um, five years ago, and for two years we, we shot 50 cormorants a month, mm-hmm. and check their guts see what exactly what they were eating and so uh for for two years we did that on, on kentucky lake and barkley lake and if you combine black bass and crappie together so all three black bass and both crappies if you combine them all only one percent of their diet were those sport fish so spotted bass smallmouth bass largemouth bass and crappie made up one percent only one yeah, percent of what we and that's right. a pretty thorough i mean you're talking about 50 yeah, mostly month, they 50 they ate way more asian carp Good. Than, than they did crappie well, hell, let's import uh, more of them and <laughs> so basically they just eat what's available i yeah. mean they're they're yeah, a voracious carp. predator they they mostly hunt shallow so whatever they can find is shallow generally it was gizzard and threadfin shad that's yeah. the vast i mean almost 50 percent of their diet was was shad and then uh asian carp yeah the some asian carp you know they're nomadic so it's just what they either were yeah. there or they weren't but then the lapoma or uh, bluegill type you know all the sunfish made up the, a big chunk as well i, I trust but, in those birds because literally every time i walk down to the river you know you never know where you're going to fish before you get down there and you see the water yep but that's the first thing I look for. I want to see where those birds are because that's a good <laughs> like indicator. Goals down at Cumberland, you know, yeah. if you see a lot of the goals hitting the top, you know. We compared those numbers to the, fish. the the our numbers that the that we found on the on the gut contents. We compared it to krill limits from our krill clerks when they check. And crappie fishermen were actually, or, I mean, you can take your your avid your best crappie fisherman if you just narrow it down to the the smallest percentage of your best crappie fishermen, they're taking. I mean, many more. An infinite, almost. I mean, one one particular guy that's on the water every single day. His krill limits alone, he was doing the work of twenty thousand cormorants com- using the numbers in my study. You know, yeah. and, and we only have you know four to five thousand or well, so on the. You know how perception works, oh, though. Oh yeah, they're, one they're a big visible bird, and, and one person sees one pop and up. They're with competing a for a resource. Yeah, it's all over. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. So. Well, I'm glad I didn't know about that study. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it was a neat one, we, and we didn't know what we would find. I mean, that was, it's been done before, but like you say, it's a visible bird, and when you have fishermen that are saying, yeah. hey, we're seeing something, that you got to go look. So, Oh, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I'm glad we looked because that's good info to have. If you got it, I mean, they're I don't think they're an apex predator, but they kind of are in the water. They're good. I mean, they're very good at their job. I'd like say a, a big flathead. They work together. Probably. I mean, Big flathead get a hold of one, it'd probably take it down. So I don't know if I can call it an apex predator. Right, but, sure. You know, that's uh, that's interesting stuff. What other kind of work are you are you doing right now to get ready for all the fall seasons? So right now it's banding season. Yeah. So uh, with migratory birds, you know that's how we get our harvest data is is through banded birds. And we actually went out and filmed with you all doing. Uh, I didn't go, but a couple of producers here went out with uh, your crews. And what was that about two weeks ago? Two and a half, three weeks ago. So I didn't know y'all were out. Apparently, so no. We were. You interviewed Wes. You were on camera doing stand-up interviews. When oh, you were me? Doing, 
Yeah. You did not they remember did. this. Yeah, they met you in Louisville with Tim and Cody. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, mercy. <laughs> goose banding. Yeah, yeah. Geez, I'm sorry. You guys went out and did goose banding You're one day. Edit I was going to say, I sound like a fool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So it's that time of year where we're 100 <laughs> miles an hour. And, and yeah, so we did. We banded geese for two days. So, so. you did a great stand up interview that day. Surely. <laughs> did you just black out the whole time? <laughs> well, I was thinking back to woodcock banding because yeah. that was the, the last real fun one goose banding that's a chore i mean i love doing it i do don't get me wrong but that's a those days you block them out because it's hot and long long days so you did a good job with the interviews even though you're unconscious for them (laughs) but the one thing you said during the interview i thought was funny you said uh if you gave me enough people, I I could get two hundred geese in the back of a Corolla. Oh, I, I'll stand by it. Put, <laughs> think we'll we'll lay money on the table, buddy. That's really, a, with enough people, you can put them anywhere you want to put them. You said they herd just like cattle, and it's kind of yeah. cool because in the video you can literally see. I mean, they they look calm as can be. Like I'm perfectly happy walking this direction. You yep. want me to go this way? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny how it works out. Yeah, some some geese are more calm than others. So, yeah. but uh, but yeah, yeah, they're flightless. This that time of year, about the middle of June, they they start molting their feathers. And geese and, and waterfowl in general are different than so your cardinal sitting on your bird feeder. That cardinal can fly at all times of year. They molt one feather at a time, mm-hmm. so they can always fly. But uh, a lot of water, most waterfowl and geese, they're they're going to drop all their flight feathers at one time mm-hmm. and molt them back in at one time. So for about three weeks, they're completely flightless. What's the purpose of molting them all at one? Because it seems like it would be an advantage to do it one at a time and always be able to. Well, fly. for one, they're a bigger bird that has less. The adult birds have less predation issues than yeah. than your cardinal. You know, if your cardinal did that, they're going to get just murdered by all the predators oh, yeah. that love to eat every small birds. Every cat, every hawk. So every. for one thing, they don't have that to worry about, and two, they're, they they group together. So yeah. they have this that time of year, uh, this time of year, whenever they start molting, you'll basically you're going to have family groups and non-breeding groups mm-hmm. in these giant uh, pods, these you know big flocks that are yeah. so you know they can they can afford to 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 do that because there's a lot of eyes and they're on big bodies of water. Generally, you're not going to find them on a little small hole of water. It's going to be a spot that they can yeah. get away, plenty of food, plenty of water. When you say big body of water, I mean we're small city lakes and oh all, sure like yeah, what we have out here big enough they can get in the water and avoid a coyote or a dog on the yeah, you know, on the shore that makes sense so another interesting thing uh, that was mentioned in that segment of course people i want people to watch it but um jb actually mentioned the fact that a lot of people think our resident geese are just here all the time right but your banning data showed that that's not the case right? yeah matter of fact banning is how we learn that they indeed are not resident geese so so, these, so give me an example with these geese we got out here what because what they've been banded the geese yep. that are just sitting right outside our office on this sportsman's lake yep so give me an example of what the banding what banding data might you know show with this group of geese okay so I, the, the main the best example is a certain percentage of this year's hatched birds so mm-hmm. the the goslings this year next summer a certain percentage will say 10 percent. i don't know the exact number will molt in Canada. So they will pick up and they'll just decide, I'm not going to molt in Kentucky. I'm going to fly to Canada. It's an inherent instinct. It's bred into them. They know exactly where to go. So they'll pick up from here and they'll fly to South Hudson Bay and gang up with, you know, hundreds of thousands of other geese that winter there, or in summer there rather. And, uh, they come in, molt their feathers, hang out for the summer, and they might come back to Kentucky. They might pair up with a bird from another state and go to that bird state. But we learned that through banding efforts. Our banding crews in Canada were seeing these mass flights yeah. from the south, migratory flights from the south. And then while they're banding, they start picking up these 
recaptured year old birds yeah. uh and, and the same thing happens with adult birds if uh, a, a female goose will have a failed nest and a certain percentage of those failed nesters will pick up fly to canada to molt their feathers so when you're doing goose banding here in kentucky if you round up let's just say you round up 100 geese off of a pond at some city lake in jefferson county or something um when you round those up you're going through and you're obviously putting a band on each one and if you get one that already has a band on it do you write down the information yep. off that band and look it up? Yeah, it's called recapture data, yeah. and every recaptured bird is 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 written down. We check the band, see if it needs replacing. If it's getting old and looks like it could fall off or is going to interfere with the goose, then yeah. we'll pop it off, put a new band on. So, but but yeah, um, the that the recapture data is not used in uh, like harvest models, for instance. You know, we get our harvest data. We know the yeah. the estimated population size, and we know the percentage of birds that we band, and you can use that, but with the uh, the pr- probability of a hunter reporting their band. So if you if you shoot a banded bird, we need you to report it because that's the science that gets our hunting seasons. You know, uh, yeah, it gets a, the bag limits and you, it, right. It, really it gives us down. an accurate measure to to give you. You know, we want to harvest the most birds we can sustainably, and so an accurate reporting rate is, is critical to that. And so. we're in a pact with a bunch of other states that right. the Mississippi Flyway, what is it exactly? Yeah, so we in Kentucky are part of the Mississippi Flyway, and the Mississippi Flyway Council, and specifically the technical section of that is the, a group of the, basically the biologists from each state. Mm-hmm. We we are the brain trust, so to speak, for, mm-hmm. the, for the migratory populations in the flyway, and that's 14 states and Canadian provinces, three Canadian provinces up there that all work together Mm-hmm. on the science end of course they're managed by the u.s fish and wildlife service u.s fish and wildlife service has all the say so but they through the mississippi flyway council they work with the states to, to make the best decisions for the hunters and for the population as well that yeah. makes sense makes but sense. but banding data is the it's the driver for all that and it's the same with we're talking geese now we do it with wood ducks we do it with yeah. all your 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 big ducks we do it with uh, doves um, we even ban woodcock. I mean, you, you name it. If it's a game bird, it, it probably gets banded. The show has been out with you all for um, woodcock. We and you guys caught a snipe this year, also doing that. Yeah, so yeah. woodcock, snipe. Um, we've done wood ducks mm-hmm. um, with the rocket nets before, and we've done goose banding. So there are examples on YouTube of all these different types of banding and how you go about capturing the birds because it's different. With the geese, you herd them like yep. you, like you mentioned. With the wood ducks, you capture them with the big rocket net yep. and with the woodcocks and the snipes you spotlight them and you sneak up on them like elmer fudd yep. and you mm-hmm. catch them with a little dip net at night so it's kind of different it's it's interesting how you go about catching all these different types of birds yeah. you said you're doing dove right now too yes is that taking place here at headquarters uh yeah so it it does um we do it you want so with any banding operation you want a representative sample of the entire state yeah so we band all the way across kentucky um, we certainly band here at headquarters, but but we band everywhere. You know, we've got people banding at home, WMAs, mm-hmm. office parks in in town, granaries. You know, anywhere we can get dove traps out and people to check. Rachel them. bands at home, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, a lot. I mean, that's probably as far as man hours goes in. That's probably our biggest effort, just because we have so many people that do it. Yeah, it's a know. lot of dove hunters out there, so you got a little bit more liability with more hunters, so you need better info, or not better info, because you want good info on everything, but you need to make sure you have the info, I guess. Yeah. So the doves, it's little small cage traps, and you put bird seed on the ground, mm-hmm. and they can walk in a funnel that they can't get back out. So really, yeah. And they do that. Then you band them and them band them, turn them loose. Hmm. I need to do that. I've got so many doves in my house. I'd love to set you up. I, 
we we can never have enough but dove banders. So. I've got morning doves. I don't know if I have a lot, but I have very vocal ones that like to hang out on my power lines. <laughs> you know, the mine hang out on my uh, bed of the truck. Oh yeah, I've got I've got a folder hard hard cover. Mm -hmm. I guess because it's warm in the morning, but hell, there'll be three or four just looking around, you know, huh. hanging out, especially in the winter when it's cold. Yep. There's a feed lot in Shelby County that uh, one of my buddies has. He has cattle, so, you know, they're always feeding cattle out there, and they've got the ringnecks that hang oh, out right. year-round. Yep. A lot of other Collar dogs, dogs, too. Yeah. But Dave said he's had some over in Shelbyville. I saw one at Chick-fil-A yesterday. Right, Here in town? <laughs> yeah. It's I thought I saw one the other day. I was yeah. like, is that? And then it flew away, but I bet it was. They're, they're maybe 10 percent 20 percent bigger would yeah. you say? I, yeah i don't know the percentage they are bigger they're a lighter color gray they they're more pigeon -like. a really weird noise yep. correct they, they do something like that isn't it or it's yeah i could not do nearly the justice you just did on that bird <laughs> well, call in florida you hear them playing golf you hear them <laughs> but, all the time you look over and then you but that slash on the neck is the yep the on the back right across the back of the neck actually that's got a black band it's the eurasian collared dove so we've got plenty in kentucky that's a that's a non-native invasive yeah. species so it doesn't count and they do not count toward, towards your limit that's right but you can't if you have 15 yeah, once doves, you have 15 you can't sit there does. and say well i'm going to shoot a collar duck right they're not right. thick enough that you can it's, and you can't pick them out no, i mean you i could never accurately I, pick one right, out you exactly. could you could try to do that but basically if you're dove hunting and you happen to get a collar dove and that was your 13th bird yep. then you're 12 towards your limit i will send the fair warning out there have been plenty of hunters that tried to pass that excuse off to an officer yeah. that they had their 15 but they're still hunting only collar doves it, it won't work so yeah. <laughs> and, and another one that while we're on the subject and i've seen it happen um you know you're a better shot and you're out with a friend he's got six you've got your limit it's getting later in the evening well, I'll help him get his limit, too. Yeah, that's against you cannot the law. do that. That's right. It's against and a lot of people think that you can, even though I think they know that you can't, but they still think that yep. you can. Yeah, that's... Party right. hunting's not unusual. Duck hunters do that as well, but it is it is illegal. You're, each individual is allowed a certain number of birds, and once you hit that number, you're it's done. Not, yeah, it's not a group it's limit, a, bag limit. It's an that's, individual. That's the same thing with fishing, you know. You got a, a live well over there, and you're trying to get your, you know, let's say six... Uh, walleye piece or six saw guy piece and you've got your six and your buddy's sitting at three it's yep. you can't throw your seventh eighth and ninth in the live well right. to, make, to make the total 12 so well, fishing it's hard it's harder to get away with it you know if, if you've got six guys in a pit somewhere and you all six shoot at four birds and they all four who's to say who shot yeah, what and that's been in that you know nobody's looking to catch people in that situation yeah. but, but if it's just you and your friend you can probably pick yeah, out all. your individual birds especially and, public land hunting so, with doves right and i've had many a dude i was like I, you went bam 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 and the bird kept flying i went bam and it fell but you're walking out there taking my bird oh i've had that happen many times <laughs> some, some guys are walking like, out so you went bam 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 and the bird kept flying i went bam or bam bam and yeah. the bird dropped i think i hit the bird <laughs> well, i had a bunch of them walking yeah, out poor old philippe rest his soul his dog used to steal my birds he'd, I'd, he'd look over you'd hear something <laughs> look down and philippe's dog is is philippe's dog stealing my dove bag no like, i've been you? i've been in dove fields with that too and it's hard to argue with the dog <laughs> That's you right. Know? Everybody loves the dogs. Dogs aren't very reasonable. <laughs> no, no, there's oh, good bird. I get to go do something. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah I, that brings back memories from last dove season. That's what I'm looking forward to dove season. I'm really, really geared up for deer season right now, just kind of being how I hunt, you know. But it, it's like I get so amped up and so jittery for deer season that when dove season comes in, those two or three days before, it's kind of like a nice break. You know, I, I quit worrying about deer season so much. <laughs> what, what are you seeing? 
out there so um, habitat wise and stuff habitat wise it, it's it's sort of a question mark but in but not really. So it was a challenging year. You know, so you plant sunflowers, you want them in the ground before Derby Day. Mm-hmm. May is kind of the, the first week of May is your, your target date to get sunflowers in the ground. And so this year in May, it was cold and wet, which yeah, is not good. Not good for your crop. You know, germination is tough. And then it turned off hot and dry in June. Very, so very dry. So it's been a challenging year, but I think our crops are looking very well. Every not everybody. There's certainly going to be some failures every year. There's failures, but anecdotal uh, evidence looks good. Yeah. So my sunflowers. So my wife likes sunflowers. So I plant her some sunflowers. There. It's a bumper crop this year, despite yeah. the wet May and and the. Uh, uh, the, One of the our WMA fields genes. out here looks really good. I've they seen, took some pictures of it. It's yep, I've seen a lot of pictures pan. of fantastic crops. Now, I will put the disclaimer on there. You know, it's one thing to make a flower. It still has to make seed. It has to have enough nutrients for the seed to form inside. You know, I've seen uh, soybeans, for instance. Farmers used to, uh, and they still do, they play the game as for the futures market, how early can I harvest this crop? And I've seen waist-high soybeans with a, you know, a three-inch long pod without a bean in it. You know, so sunflowers, Mm -hmm. I think we're fine. You know, generally you'll get good pollination, then you're also going to get a a full pot of seed, you know, a a full seed head. But uh, but that's a a question mark right now still. They look like they're pretty good. They're just starting to dry down. That's the well, no. So there, I mean, Paradovic, which is the black oil, is the the by far the the number one crop. So, but there's going to be some gray stripes and some other varieties. It Does just depends be, on what you can get, yeah. uh, basically. But, but Paradovic, think, which is your black oil sunflower, is probably the the number one. These crop. are the big pie pan looking. They can it, they can be big. It, that comes down to spacing, seed spacing. So, so if even you, the black holes can look. You don't want it any any tighter than corn spacing. So you you know in best case scenario you've got thirty inch rows and you're dropping a seed every ten to twelve inches. That's your best case scenario for a big seed head. That being said, though sunflowers are an easy crop. You can plant them more closely and they'll just make a smaller seeded mm-hmm. and, and more flowers. So it's kind of you know they compete with themselves somewhat. So that seed head is kind of relevant to the root. Wide, how big around the root wad right. is able to be based on how clumped together they are and exactly. how much room they have. Okay, but you're still looking at X number, X amount of ground is capable of producing X amount of seed right. head yep. is kind of the way it goes. So it's a give and take. Either more plants with smaller seed heads. Yep. or It generally plants. comes down to your equipment. So, yeah. I mean, if I don't have a sunflower planter that's capable of planting it to the specific, yep. you know, crop production, that, then you use what you have <laughs> and you know you still have a good hunt. Would so. you say that these... We've had two rainy weekends recently. Mm-hmm. Would you say those two rainy weekends are what kind of saved us? Well, uh, yeah, it won't hurt a thing. Yeah. Um, the only thing that when it rains during pollination, you know, that sometimes you can get some uneven pollination. Mm-hmm. But but still, I, um, we needed the rain. It was, yeah, it was I think a, we got two inches on two different weekends mm-hmm. recently. Yep. Which so, is, and it was well, really dry. It soaked dry. up quick. Man, a lot. Sure. But it's helped the crops. I mean, you can, oh, you yeah. can, you, if you go own. out and look at the soybeans or, like Wes was saying, any of the other corn. I mean, I'd say some of the farmers were kind of sweating until we got that rain. So. Yeah, we needed the rain. I was glad to, glad um, to see it. And not just that, but the creeks and the waterways. I uh, I the had creek been got able to, painfully low oh. before this rain. It was 55 CFS here last week. Uh, and last I, week. I haven't hardly got to do any fishing. I took one fishing trip recently, but that's just because when we got one of those two-inch rainstorms, the creek shot up to a fishable level, so we went kayaking and, and actually did really well. I mm-hmm. think the fish wanted that rain just as bad as we did. But here this weekend, I'm looking at some of the flows, and it looks like it might be a weekend to get out and do something. I know. 
So I might try to take advantage of that. A little off topic there, but <laughs> I always check, I always check every morning. I check those water levels to see where they're going to be. One year when we first did our dove field with my brother and I, we couldn't get black hole. We went to Piggly Wiggly and bought <laughs> some bird seed, yeah, just yeah. to sunflowers, mm-hmm. and put those out. And we were like, I don't know if we're making. A we had those pie pan gigantic ones. That's still one of the best shoots we ever had. Was, <laughs> I mean, they came and from Piggly Wiggly, yep. so you know. Yeah, you, you don't have to. You don't have to have the bottle. You can definitely get by. I mean, it takes a little more effort to, you know, if you're, you got to keep the weeds out. So, mm-hmm. so Wes, a question I got earlier this year, and I'm sure you get all the time, is, um, what are the legalities around planting a sunflower field? Like, if you had, you know, say you lived out in the country here and you had ten acres and you thought, you know, I want to put a little strip mm-hmm. of sunflowers down for dove hunting. What are what what what's legal and what's not legal? So there's nothing wrong with planting a food plot four doves and manipulating the food plot to get the seed where the doves can get to it. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's I'm not a law enforcement officer, so I will preface that. Talk to your lo- local law enforcement officer. They're the ones that issue the citations, and you're going to want their interpretation of all laws. Mm-hmm. But with doves, you you can plant a food plot, such as sunflowers. You can mow it down and disc the ground, get some bare dirt down there, you, and that's something you're going to want to do, by the way. it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, Doves yeah. don't like thatch. They want bare dirt. Bare dirt. But uh, so you can do that for doves. You cannot do that for waterfowl in the other game birds, uh, migratory birds. Well, it says in the guide areas manipulated for dove hunting are not legal for waterfowl. Right. And the biggest question that's that's the easy question. So the the harder question would be uh, so a lot of people will plant a crop for doves, they will harvest it or manipulate it for dove hunting, and then they want to come back behind it with a cover crop mm-hmm. with, say, winter wheat. wheat yeah. That you have now double cropped a food plot. Mm-hmm. So a food plot is handled differently than an agricultural crop. Mm-hmm. You know, in an agricultural situation, say silage, corn silage, you can harvest your silage and then you can come right back behind that with your wheat cover crop and hunt that. That's a normal agricultural practice recommended by the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. University of Kentucky does not have recommendations for winter wheat cover crops following food plots. It's that you're only doing that for the benefit of, of hunting uh, the way the law is written. So once you plant and harvest that seed, you put that seed back on the ground, adding more seed to the seed that you've knocked down on the ground is a baited field and is no longer legal to hunt that field. So if if you do have silage, then you go back with winter wheat. Do you have to turn that winter wheat under? You can't. You no, can't. you do not have to turn that. Okay, so you can, you can hunt over that. That's if, legitimate agriculture. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that comes down to seeds per acre uh, the UK and and I'm not going to tell you the exact. I tell everybody two bags, uh, so uh, two, uh, a bushel or that two bushels. Sorry, two bushels per acre. You're well under the limit, and that's and that's a lot of seed. That's, that's still, 112 pounds, right? Yeah, bushels so, about 56. Right, so two bushels. You're well under the limit, I think, but. It, do they still do the square? And they time? do. That's exactly how they do it. Okay. That's so law enforcement. They have a a, a square that they know the measurements of. They go out and they randomly throw it on the field. And if you've got too many seeds in that, you've got a baited field. Hmm. So University of Kentucky, they have a recommendation for food plots. And uh, and one of the recommendations is you don't, you, you know, you broadcast the seed and let the rain knock it put it in. Yeah. And so you do not have to work it in. That is legal, but only behind an agricultural crop like silage. Like I said, that you cannot do that with a food plot with sunflower fields. If you manipulate, and it's the same with corn. If you plant that corn and you bush hog the corn to make it available to doves that's not a normal agricultural practice that's okay. a food plot and now and you, then can't, you can't go back yeah. that's right 
Okay. What, another trick that people do, but, but this is one that uh, there's a lot of confusion on. Okay, I, I put out a, a plot, I turn everything under, I turn seed under, I have bare dirt, but I've trained those doves have been coming to that bare dirt for a while, but there's nothing on the ground. So the so, all but, bait must be gone for 10 days prior to the okay. hunt. So even though you've turned under your sunflower crop, sometimes you'll have a, a crop that's just a poor crop, um, has these little tiny seed heads, but they're still seed heads. And so if, once you turn that under, if it's not 100% destroyed, if you find one seed head yeah. that's still on the ground it's not a destroyed crop yeah. and so you know you have to put sideboard you know law enforcement they have a tough job they have yeah. to make a judgment call and based on sideboards put on the law and so uh, by letter of the law yeah. any seed left over if you deposit seed on top of that seed then it's a baited field so so one of the guys who reached out to me earlier this year he he was asking about putting sunflowers out for dove hunting, and that's legal. You can put sunflowers out. That's considered a food plot. It doesn't have to be legitimate agricultural practice. Correct. Okay, because he was thinking that he needed to, like, charge people five bucks to come out and take pictures in front of the sunflower field <laughs> to make it, like, legitimate agriculture. No, but he should do that. I mean, yeah. you know, if he can get it, yeah, money in well. the pocket makes yeah. money back. That's, people like taking pictures they in do. front of the Absolutely. sunflowers. So, so <laughs> you can do that, too. But he was, he was trying to figure out if he needed to, like, have some legitimate agricultural reason, like, Photo opportunity. No, nope. doves are the, it's the only migratory bird where you are allowed to manipulate your food plot. Okay. And I couldn't answer the reason. It's it's the same federal rule as, as ducks and geese, but they allow it for doves. They don't for the rest. That's good. That's good info because I did not know that because I, I would have leaned towards, because I've always heard legitimate agriculture, but, but that's water. seed on the ground is always like, oh, I'm leaving, you know. Yeah. Now, I will warn people, I've had, and, and I'm sure they don't mean anything by it, but I've had people just, you know, they elbow a little bit and say, well, you know, I've got my dove field, but I had to sweeten it up a little bit, you know, get the doves coming to it, and they put bird seed out in it, which is legal in the middle of the summer, yeah. but the baiting rule, it all yep. bait must be gone, completely gone, for yep. 10 days before you can hunt it. So, okay. so, that, and that so if you've sweetened your crop... You better scour the ground and make sure there is no bird seed because the law enforcement guys, they, you know, they scout for, for baiters. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if, you, if, they're, if they're on to you, you're, you're nailed. So don't sweeten your crop. Let some the, people would. <laughs> let let oh, the crop oh, work. Well, I had a situation with a co-worker who had a family member. who's like, well, I wanted you to have a good hunt. And we were like, what, well, they, uh, somebody's retired now. I was like, we got to leave. I was like, what do you mean we got to leave? There were birds everywhere. I was like, oh, my God, I haven't done a hunt like this yep. forever. And we went over a hill, and they took off their cap and threw it, and hundreds of doves went. Whoosh. So we left, and the guys with called called the uh, relative and said, "Hey, you know, we had sorry we didn't get to hunt uh, the, the receiver." Where he was, "Oh, I put that out for you. I want y'all to have a good shoot." <laughs> <Yep. laughs> and, and I mean, bird, we could have gotten popped unintentionally. Bird seed so. sunflower looks different than what the sunflower that's knocked down out of a seed head. Yeah. You know, it's it's not going to look the same. So just don't do it. CEOs can tell too. So I would, yeah, I would read the rules and regs. Is the dove hunting guide available? It's almost it, out. It's yeah. almost out. We're working okay. on it right now. So we, that'll be out soon. Yeah, that'll we be have out to wait before. for the fields to to make. Basically, we don't want to send hunters to a field that's not going to be good. You guys put a kind of a preview of each field in the in that guide, kind yeah, of let them but, know what's and, there. Well, just yeah, what what's usually just where it's at and and what it's made of. Right. So they have a dove field map that's on our website. You can go to the migratory bird hunting page, the dove hunting page, right now. And yeah, right now you can go and see last year's fields. Most of last year's fields are also 
And this, this year, there's always a few new ones, and there's always some that you know they just didn't do well. Yeah. And then we rotate a few fields around. They're not always in the exact same spot. But you can go at the very top. You can click on public dove fields, and it'll take you down to the bottom. And you just like click here, I think, to to view the the public dove field map. And it's a ArcGIS online map. You can zoom in. You can see the imagery. You can see the roads. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a little blurb to give you a GPS point to the parking lot. Uh, if there's special regulations such as steel shot only, uh, that'll be listed there as well. So here I am. I'm at fw.ky.gov at the homepage search mm-hmm. bar. I'm just going to type public dove fields. And let's see, dove hunting, dove fields. I'm going to click That's on. Go to this migratory bird hunting. That'll be the one. Okay. And then the at the top, you can find view public dove fields. View public dove fields. There we go. And then right here to view a map of the 2021. Yeah. Here in yeah. a couple of weeks, it'll say 2022. Yeah. August and it'll be 1, up to around that. August 1 is when we, that's our. And yeah. there's all go. of them listed for me right there. So little red dots on the map. And if I click on one, let's just click on Taylorsville Lake, for instance. WMA, two fields, 15 acres, and it gives me directions. And it lists whether it's a mentor field or not, which is important for that opening weekend, yep. too. So that's good. Awesome. Uh, a lot of people are going to be getting geared up for. And they're also the, here, so. the directions. We, we don't even say like 25 acres. Do we even do that in the directions? I don't no, think it changes do. so often it's hard we to just keep say, up you know, with. That's 20 acres, you know, off Roy Bagby Road. I know that's one of them. Yeah, some you know, some fields will. By county and by region. Right. Oh, okay. Well, sweet. I'm looking forward to dove season. I need to take the full choke out of my shotgun and get my shotgun ready. It's still, it's still in turkey season mode. I always call it the opening day of hunting season. I know squirrel yeah. season comes in first. Well, but, you know, that, that's something else we like need to talk August about. Squirrel hunting. <laughs> well, Lee, you say that, but we're going to go this year. We're we're going to hit the woods with Wes here and Cody Roden and Wes's that's little. That's right, and, and the Ringo, Ringo right? Yep. Yeah, that, we, the Cody John was talking Ringo. about that the other day. How old's your dog now? He's two, two and a half, I guess. So real energetic. He's real energetic, yep. He's got a terrible owner. If he had a, a better <laughs> owner, he would be a top-notch squirrel dog, I'm sure. But he loves to loves to chase them. So. No, that's good. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, we're going to go out there. You and know, and a lot of people don't. That would be a good segment. A lot of people are like, August, it's hot. Eh, I'll wait. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we already decided, and, you know, I've got an email chain here with Wes. We already decided we're going to throw in there dang it's hot <laughs> every couple of seconds the hottest i've ever been in my life sitting on a dove field on opening day sitting out in the middle waiting for it i mean that's some of the hottest i don't I've know ever been i think squirrel woods in august i think it's harder than the duck because you're walking chasing a dog and yeah. yeah oh it's it's you know just gonna depend on that day hopefully we'll get lucky but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go out with wes and his uh his pup who's been up here at headquarters terrorizing the squirrels oh i know that's all he eats and but in Cody Roden, Cody's been on the podcast. He's a small game biologist, but he also does the mass the mass crops. And he wants to come on in about a month to talk about mass mass crops. Yeah, because yeah, I've got more questions for Cody about mass crops. Well, so. he's, he's amenable to it, and also uh, Rachel Young would like to come on and talk about the foundation. We'll do that. So. One thing I'm going to go off topic here a little bit, but Lee, we got you healthy again. Yeah. yeah, looking good, Lee. See, on this audio medium, people can't tell, but, man, you look you look really good now, and you've gotten everything squared away, so I'm hoping we can go to back to our every other week for the podcast. That's, yes, and well, it's, if, I know it's been spotty, and it's, you know, I, I apologize, but, you know, I've been... Well, you look like Lee before all this started. <laughs> you know, he's got you. Look, you look good. I so. feel uh, I've got a two-inch scar on my neck, but I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> so you compared were, to feeling like you know 
not very well. You were talking about all the people we need to have on. That should be very possible here coming up because I would love to get back in the routine of doing a podcast every two weeks. That's where we're heading. We've gotten suggestions from listeners. You know, I, I wish it was still. If I don't break down again, which it looks like I'm not. So. <laughs> no, you're looking good. Um, let's see. I wanted to run through a few other things here. So as far as all those hunting seasons come in on September 1st, hip is something we haven't been hitting on as hard the past few years, trying right. to remind people, because people got pretty well in the swing of, sure. yeah, when that was a brand new requirement, it was like, man, we got to make sure people. And I think for two or three years there, we really pounded on it. But hip is still a thing. You still got to complete that survey. Easy, easy, easy. Yep. Yeah. Have to, uh, it's a requirement for all migratory bird hunting. So it's, it takes just a couple minutes to, to So get your hip survey, get your hunting license. We were an early adopter because yeah, JB I, asked me the other day, the first press release I wrote about it, he sent to Texas because Texas is now going to have yep. hip and a lot of states are, it's going to become nationwide. The brief rundown, I mean, we get our harvest data through banding, but what we don't, we've never known before hip in Kentucky is exactly how many hunters we have, which is very important. Participation. Right. So a sportsman's license hunter, you know, there's a lot of deer hunters that buy a sportsman's license, even though they only hunt deer. Yeah. And so they were being tagged as dove hunters, as rail hunters, as snipe hunters, as woodcock hunters. They've never even thought about, you know, they didn't even know snipe hunting was a real thing, much yeah. less going. And so without hip data, we had absolutely no idea how many hunters we have. Now, we don't use that information for harvest. It's yeah. not used for harvest. It's, it's only used to categorize, you know, are you a hunter of this species or not a hunter of that species and then the u.s fish and wildlife service will pick from that list if to find the more avid people they're get a randomly assigned a number of, of hunter journals and then wing data so uh, for ducks for instance a certain percentage of hunters will be sent an envelope and they ask you to cut off the wing and dry it of every bird you harvest and that's sent to the, the what's called wing bee and that's where we get our age and sex class of the birds that are harvested so from right. that wing you can tell if it's a male or female and if it's a hatchier bird or an after hatchier bird and you mm. and along with biologists all over the place go through countless numbers of wings and actually right. do the, the hunters themselves don't have to say this is a hatchier female right they just send yep. it in and you do that they send it in and so that deer hunter that has never even thought about duck hunting mm -hmm. was being sent a a random sample to please mm -hmm. collect some wings well obviously that wasn't happening so yeah. the hip is what drives us we get better data we can t target our hunters and get better data through our hunters that way yeah that makes perfect sense and, and before when you bought your license it was incumbent upon the license seller to ask the question did you hunt migratory birds that's correct they didn't do it well, and, and well and when it's crowded you know at the fair and stuff like yep. that people right just some, get through it quickly, somebody figured out long ago you can just hit zeros zero 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 get through the sale and, right when i think I, when i worked it because you know i worked at a few sporting goods stores and i think that trick was actually taught to me by a, man, yeah, by a manager sure. or one of them you could just hit zero zero it didn't you know? i mean seen well that's why we require it to be done at our website yeah. online by the hunter so we get the most accurate data possible awesome um what other questions have you been getting right now we cut we knocked out the food plot we've talked some hip we know what days the seasons are coming up um I think it's pretty common knowledge that for pretty much all these types of hunting, your shotgun can hold no more than three, yep. including one in the chamber. But what other questions do people ask of you or, you know, you and JB all the time? So we're just finishing up the goose nesting season, so I get a lot of questions. What can I do about this aggravating Canada goose or this mallard that's you know, nesting on my pontoon boat? You know, they're pr protected birds. And, and you can get into the mallard whether or not that's an actual wild 
mallard or a, a park duck. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not qualified to give you an answer today. <laughs> you know, I can't tell yeah. you by, by looking at it. But uh, they are protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and so that is a protected species. And so Canada geese, you either love them or you hate them, yeah. especially mm-hmm. if you live in a subdivision and they're in your yard, mm-hmm. and, you know, with geese comes goose poop. Yep. And, uh, it, it, you know, walk around headquarters, look around. It, it can, when they're molting, they're congregated, and there's a lot of poop. And yep. so that is a, a big chunk of my time this year is talking with people that do not like the geese, that yeah. want them gone. And it's a hard one for me because we're not allowed, as a state agency, we do not have a permit to capture and remove Canada geese. They're they're only managed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, mm-hmm. and they're the only entity in the state is USDA Wildlife Services, mm-hmm. who works with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on nuisance geese issues. Yeah. And so that's a big part of my time. You know, if 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 you have a problem goose, you can call Wes, but he's not going to be able to help you. Yeah. <laughs> so because he he'll be a good listener. Yeah, I, and I, <laughs> I, I will. Now there are a few things you can do. You can destroy nests. Uh, you have to get a permit. You have to go yeah. through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and uh, and it's a lot of work. You know, yeah. the geese are not going to be any less protective than if you know they're big scary birds so you still have yeah. to deal with the goose but you cannot harm the the adults you can haze them you know scare them fireworks that kind of thing but if you hurt the bird you've broken federal law so yeah, so i cover that a lot of this time of year um the, the food plot questions you ask a lot of food plot questions are coming through and then like i said uh, it's banding season so mostly i'm not in the office we're running around getting <laughs> getting uh getting birds caught and getting some leg bands put on but uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to the season. These other birds you're talking about, the the the, the snipe and the rails, mm-hmm. um, a lot, that's a, that's an underutilized species. Yeah, you've said that before. You you've, you've mentioned to me that we need to get out and do some rail hunting. Oh, that's my that's one of my favorites. Yeah, you've so. said that before. Especially, I think you even mentioned slews or some of those WMAs that we've done other things on. Yep. And it's basically a jump shoot bird, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it it I, it's pheasant hunting in knee boots. I mean, you're out in the water, basically the same way you would pheasant hunt. You're walking through the cover hoping to flush a bird and and shoot it so uh they run like pheasants do um run like through the absolutely absolutely so the i I always found that the trick was to start shallow and work deep and Mm -hmm. because it seems like you can get them to hold once you get to the deeper water if you start deep and run shallow you're just never going to catch that bird they're going to continue to run but uh, but you need a need a good dog uh, yeah, or okay. a lot of people. I was going to ask if you need if the dog's pointed or or if they just retrieved or what the deal was. So we've used pointing. I've only hunted with my friends uh, pointing dogs and and they did wonderfully. But like I say, the the birds run. So a lot of times a bird dog will point and that bird keeps running. Mm-hmm. And so you have to keep working. The, you know, it's no different than, than quail hunting or anything. Um, but not quail i guess they'll probably sit but it's no different than pheasant hunting that uh, you know bird dog if the if the bird moves on and the dog doesn't know that just right off then uh then you have to re refine the bird but uh, it's a lot of fun what are the best uh okay so this season i'm seeing september 1st through november 9th for the rails and right now i'm thinking in terms of tv show i'm being i'm doing my job here um early season or late season what would be best so the only time i have ever done it was during the wood duck and teal season but that was because i was already hunting wood duck and teal so i would do a, a wood duck and teal hunt in the morning and then i would go in the midday and hunt hunt rails it was so just extending the hunt basically september 17th through the 21st yes so so that is the only time i have done it but they're there the entire season okay so you have um the snipe will come through seems like they come through maybe just a hair later than the the rails so so you get out early from the sores and the, the sore rails now i will say for for those of you that don't know what we're talking about a rail mm-hmm. is a different bird so you want to do a little bit of homework yeah and and 
identify, but once you've flushed one, you, you get out the hang of it quick because they look like they can barely fly. Like once they come up in the air, they, so they're they almost like they're falling I the entire time. I could one of those. Well, so, a layman's description of a rail. If they're so it's a, a, a chicken-like bird. The soras are uh, about the size of a... Uh, somewhere between a sparrow and a mockingbird. It's a small okay. bird. You're allowed 25 rails because they're a small bird. Um, there's also Virginia rails. The soars have a short beak, and then the Virginia rails have a long beak, and they're a little bit bigger, but not much. They're a small wading bird. They have long chicken-like legs, mm-hmm. and they wade through. Uh, they will literally, the first one I ever remember seeing it was on a cattail, and the cattail just started folding down, and this thing was, its big feet were perched in the on the cattail blade, and it, if, as it folded down, it was just kind of holding on, and then it kind of like fell into the water. So they're clumsy looking little They're cl- very clumsy looking. When they flush, their highest of their flight is is on the flush, and then they kind of start falling from there. Mm. And uh, so the, and you don't want a big gun. You, it, they're, they're, like I said, they're a small gun, and they're not a fast flyer. A so 20 gauge. A 410 or a 20 gauge is, is more than enough. 410 is, is, if you have a 410, can afford the shells, that's yeah. probably the, the proper size gun for that bird. That's a good point. It can afford the shells. You almost <laughs> would rather shoot a 20 just because shells are available. Yeah. yeah. And I've got a bunch of 20s to shoot up. Yeah. Okay. For dove hunters out there, that's been an issue the last couple of years mm-hmm. now is getting ammo and the price of ammo. Of course, every uh, price of everything is up, but uh, yeah. ammo especially, yeah. you know, uh, I've been lucky and not had to buy dove loads, but it, the time is coming. This is probably mm-hmm. my last season before I've got a – before I'm after restock, it'll drop a little bit before I have to re- restock. That's a very solid reminder. Here in recent years, you know, the department gets calls yeah. um, to the info center when it comes mid mm-hmm. mid November yeah. or yeah. September. People are, where can I go get ammo? I can't yeah. find ammo at my local Walmart. They don't have anything. Yeah, don't wait till the the I'll, weekend before dove season to I'd get go your ahead. dove loads. You know, places like Walmart might not have it set out yet. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. But it, it's a good time of year to go ahead and start thinking about yep. dove season being right around the corner. Go ahead and get your seven and a halfs or whatever you want to shoot. There's so. a lot of online resor- resources mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And I tell everybody, uh, you should now be preparing all year long for your hunt. If, if, if you know you're out of dove loads at the end of dove season, then you need to to spend the rest of the year preparing for you know watch for those sales watch online check cabela's and everybody locally but watch online get you know that's what smart people would do i'm so, traditionally every year that guy who's at walmart at 11:30 a.m on <laughs> september 1st getting a mountain dew and trying to figure out where the dove shells are well that know? used to be <laughs> that used to be the way you did it that's like, how that's just, how i started you didn't have to worry but you just but, can't do but it but then anymore. again a box of double a's was 3.97 uh, yeah. and that's exactly what it was back in when i started first going dove hunting stuff you know whatever year it was 20 years ago i would just go to walmart and get my shells and hit the field right afterwards but you're right now i find myself in there just looking at empty shelves so yeah. But yeah, that and same thing for deer and season, especially if you shoot an odd ball caliber like a twenty-five odd six, or because a lot of or sixteen gauge. From what I understand, that. a lot of the manufacturing has turned to the more popular calibers, just trying to get that ammo on the shelves and the the secondary calibers like a seven millimeter odd eight or a twenty-five odd six or something like that. Those have kind of taken a hit as far as production goes right. to make production for the other ones that are more popular. So I would I would probably start planning ahead if I could for definitely all those plan things. ahead. Watch the guide because some fields are still shot only, and still shot is even harder to find. I mean, it's not it, it when we first started these still shot dove fields. It was harder to find still dove loads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I buy them now. If I see one, I buy them. Well, oh, Walmart has. They are more mass Sevens. produced now than they ever were, and they're a lot easier to find now. Do you envision that, a reality where that's why we'll be able to shoot. 
Uh, yeah, I can I can envision that. I don't know that it's anywhere near us, but um, you know, if you read the the publications, the the data is real that lead yeah. poisoning is tough, tough, tough on on birds. So, uh, in good conscience, I cannot say that we shouldn't be going mm-hmm. to steel shot. But I also understand the the fact that there's only so much uh, steel in the world versus lead. It costs so much to make steel. It costs that much, you know, that much more to purchase it. There's a lot of arguments against it. So yeah, can I see it? Absolutely. It's but, hard to argue with the bald eagle. Yeah. And that was also DDT. That wasn't just lead. I mean, there's other factors. Well, the there, ducks, but. though. I mean, the duck production after the lead ban. It's. I mean, it's stopped. And it's not just before the, lead ban here. After lead ban, I mean, the, look the, at the LTAs up. So many. They're the, all up. The biggest problem is how long it persists in, in the, the environment. We, so duck hunting. There's been a lead ban. I mean, it's more than 25 years. We've banned lead shot, and you can still go to these historic duck hunting areas in south, southern. You know states such as louisiana mississippi and if you excavate the bottom and they do they've done this they've mined the lead and it's just tons of lead shot even 25 years later they're still getting and it's not from hunters that are disregarding the law that's just still there from the years of of use and so that that is you know the biggest issue is how long it persists in the environment but but again i'm not advocating one way or the other can i see it happening sure i mean um it would not surprise me in the least for that to, to happen. But uh, will I say we should? Probably. But, I mean, I see I see the arguments both ways. Yeah. Luckily, I don't have to make those decisions. Yep, so. yep. makes sense. The um, mentor dovefields, when I was on the yeah. website earlier, it, you know, is this a mentor dovefield? It said no. So there's a checkbox on that info. Tell me. We've gone through this before in previous years, but tell me the deal on Mentor Dovefields. Yep. And how can somebody who's interested in that find more info? So, all right, so it's all online. Uh, go to the website, go to the Migratory Bird Hunting page, mm-hmm. and the Mentor Fields, we only set out a few fields uh, each year. And, and, and I've had questions on that in the past. You know, we used to have a Mentor Field here, now we don't. Um, our Mentor Fields just simply don't fill up anymore. Um, we, you know, we... We have these fields set aside that are only for mentors that will bring a youth hunter, someone 15 years or younger. Once you hit 16, if you're 16 before September 1st, then you're no longer eligible for a, a, a youth hunt. And so the mentor can hunt, and the, uh, the kids actually do not even have to hunt. These fields are set aside for a, a mentor to take to kids hunting, whether they have a gun in their hand or not. So the way that works, you're allowed two guns per station all of our mentor hunts you check in you're assigned a spot or some of them it's just there's this many spots first come first serve but there's only two guns per station so so dad and son can both hunt or say you know mom and two kids two kids want to hunt mom cannot hunt you can only have two guns and uh, of course the mentors in in charge of you know safety and we only allow so many in the field for safety reasons. Yeah. You cannot, you know, in a normal public field, when you go to retrieve your bird, if you don't have a dog, you take your gun with you. If you get a shot, you take a shot. Yeah. We don't allow that on the mentor hunts. We, we know if you're away from your station, your gun has to stay at your station yeah. unloaded. So Makes sense. That uh, way you know where all the shooters are shooting. That's from. right. It, it just creates a safe and environment for kids to learn how to and hunt. And experienced hunters shooting at low birds and all that, that'll curb a lot of that. It does. That, that is the sole purpose of the hunt. And to, to apply for those, you go to our website go to the migratory bird hunting page and from there it's if you scroll down to the bottom of that page you'll see the youth hunt information and you'll apply there it goes live august 1st i think that it's it's always the first two full weeks of august is the sign up period so i think this year actually is august 1st through the 12th yes and then the results okay. will be posted by the friday following so this year i think is august 19th it is 
So you can go to the website. So this <clears> year <throat> it's August 1st through the 12th? Yes. Yeah, August, and the 12th is a Friday. Yes. So yeah, it so starts on a Monday and runs on the Friday. The following yeah, week yep. after, yeah. So essentially we have a few fields set aside across the state that are for t- introducing youth to hunting. Correct. And th- the you have to have someone 15 or under who you're going to mentor you can go on there and sign up, and then you can take. It sounds like you could take more than one. You can have two guns at a station. So two guns at a station. So okay. you can have two youth hunters and one mentor, or you can have a mentor and two youth, but only one or only two guns per. And per I'll station. be honest with you, I kind of agree um, with the whole the mentor can hunt and the youth doesn't have to thing. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes that's how you get. You know, you get the kid out there and you get them interested without forcing them to take a shot. You know, just introduce them to the experience, kind of. And you're still able to do it in a nice, safe, controlled way if you go to a mentor yep. field versus if you were to run out to, no offense to Harley Thompson Road right down here, but a public dove field that's closest to us that I that I know of, that place can be a little bit of a madhouse. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I don't well, know I've, if I'd want to introduce And dove you. hunting is easy, but dove harvesting is not easy. So, you know, just turning kids loose with guns, you're not going to have a productive hunt because no. they're hard to hit and mm-hmm. so, so you know it's better to have an experienced shooter just to put something in the bag you know it makes if, the hunt better if you're telling me these fields aren't filling up you know if i had a a youth like if i had a, a child a son or daughter and i was trying to introduce them to that i don't own property i live in a neighborhood right now i mm-hmm. can't just go out and take them out in my backyard and do it there i, I would be looking for a dove field somewhere and a lot of dove fields aren't the ideal situation yep. to introduce a youth. So you're saying there is an, a dove field that is an ideal situation. All you yep. got to do is sign up. And it sounds like if they aren't filling up, you're probably pretty likely to get, get a spot. To get drawn, yeah. You are very likely to be drawn. There's one in uh, western Kentucky at Higgins and Henry WMA. They always have one at Kentucky River in central Kentucky. Yep. Kentucky River WMA, they have a youth field. And then down in Greene County, they're one of our cooperator fields hosts a, a youth hunt. Yeah, they've been doing that for a long time. Yep, and, and all three of those, I, they they come close to filling up. In some years, they will fill and be one or two hunters that get pushed away. But I don't think there's ever been a time that all the hunters show up the day of the hunt. And you know. uh, and then you're, we do do first come, first serve to fill the field. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't get in on it, you can show up and, and try to get in. And the, the hunt is always the first Saturday of dove season, so it's not going to be always opening day. Uh, we wait for the weekends, obviously, make it easier for... for Essentially, uh, it's opening day of deer season. Right. Is when it is. Yes, it is opening day of deer season. The, the mentor, you know, it's more likely to be able to get off work, you yeah, know. On and, a Saturday. You know, and then those fields are closed to general cl- public hunting. That's in, right. Until... The until next day. after the, the youth hunt. It's not the next day, though, is it? There's oh, yeah, a buffer. It is. Okay, so yeah. they can hunt that Sunday, but then there's a rule in place with, like, you need to really need to check the guide. Check the dove guide. The rule you're team. thinking of goes to the cooperator fields. fields yeah. So cooperator fields are private fields that we basically we have a lease on and so they will open on opening day and then they will close until the next saturday mm-hmm. so if opening day is monday that field is closed the rest of the week and it'll reopen on saturday mm-hmm. and so uh, it, it, that and that just keep the heat off right? right it just rests them just a little bit you know ultimately uh, this whole thing with water with migratory bird hunting in general i'm talking dove all the waterfowl species it can be pretty confusing because of all the rules and regs but it, it's also, I've heard waterfowlers tell me that it is the number one. I'm talking about waterfowl hunters who love deer hunting, love predator hunting, love all types of hunting, but waterfowl hunting, man, they just can't get enough waterfowl hunting. Dove hunting is something everybody would enjoy, you know, all different. You can take it as serious as you want or you can take it, you know, as 
relaxed and laid it's back. It's a social you know. event with a lot yeah. of people. You know? So it can be what you want, but basically if you just have an interest in trying one of these things, you should check out the guide because you're going to need to look at those rules and regs, especially if you're going public fields, look at the dates, look at the shot that's allowed, things like that. So the guide is a, re- is a must-have resource. Absolutely. Exactly. In our website also, we have our R3 branch that if you are a new hunter, if you've never experienced these, there's probably some information on our website. I, there definitely is for dove hunting. Yeah. Like the tips, on, this is what you're going to need to bring. Um, you know, you don't need a lot. You need some ammo. You need a bucket to sit on. And, and some. you know, you're going to want some, some eye, drinks, eye yeah. protection, keep some water with you, uh, a good hat to keep sun out of your eyes. But it doesn't take, you know, $1,000 worth of gear. Uh, waterfowl hunting you can do it as cheaply or as expensively as you like but the as lee said it's the camaraderie of waterfowl hunting so it's like turkey hunting except you don't have to be quiet you know you're interacting with the birds you're harvesting if if you're using a duck call and then but the rest time you cut up with your friends you don't have to you know drink coffee you don't gotta worry about yeah you're not sitting still in a tree stand trying to look like a limb you know you can you can move you can you can talk, you can cut up, and it's just the, it's the camaraderie that, that what take, makes waterfowl so addictive, I think. There's yeah. always an, an added bonus to any type of hunting you can do with a dog, too. Oh, and the general public doesn't understand it, but if you're a hunter, you understand yep. it. Anything you can do with a dog is just an added bonus. Um, and, and dove hunting is probably the best to bring someone who's starting out because there's a lot of action. Oh, usually yeah. If it's Absolutely. A yep. What's uh, the date on that guide coming out this year, Lee? Do we uh, know? We, we, we will have it online before. August 1st is our deadline. Yep. So uh, we're working on it right now. Adrian's doing the – she's fixing up the – I think a lot of a lot of stuff's going out August 1st as far as hunting info mm-hmm. um, for this year. That's, I think, when our fall hunting guide's supposed to hit the stores as well. Yes. Um, for all the other fall hunting I seasons. believe we've received uh, one of the first shipments of the hunting guides here. So There is some stuff uh, – you know, I don't want to transition too quickly away from what we're talking about, but the hunting guide talk kind of opens it up for me. And we've talked about deer seasons coming up right around the corner. We still – We'll, we'll put more info out on this. We'll have Noel Thompson or somebody, John Hast, somebody from deer, the deer world on with us to talk more about this. But people in western Kentucky especially still need to be aware of that there still is a CWD surveillance zone mm-hmm. this year. Those same five counties that were in the CWD surveillance zone last year are going to be in it this year. But there are going to be some changes yep. to the requirements. Um, as of right now, baiting is still... Um, not allowed. Uh, carcass transportation, when season opens up, won't be allowed out of those five counties. Carcass tags are no longer required. And mandatory check stations are still going to be in place, but it's going to be on a much smaller scale. So last year, early muzzleloader, modern firearm, and late muzzleloader, all those deer were required to go to a mandatory check station. This year, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be less check stations and less days. But I'll let one of the people who's actually an expert in that come on and and make mention but i did think it was worth noting that you know because i could see how deer hunters down in western kentucky are getting ready for deer season and thinking about throwing some corn out on the ground maybe not knowing that baiting is still banned in those cwd uh, surveillance zone county so i thought that was definitely worth mentioning is that that is still a reg and that is still being enforced no baiting in those five counties yep and then we'll have an expert on, and uh, once the fall hunting guide goes out, all those regs will be detailed out there, too. So I think that's August 1st. I'll throw out there, too, Chase. So keep an eye on the fall waterfowl guide coming out. There is a chance that we'll be finally be able to release our new veterans and youth hunt dates. Okay. So they were approved by the commission, but, of course, once the commission passes something, it has to be written up in the regulation, and then the regulation has to be approved by the legislator. It's a, it's a, you know, there's a big lag time to get in, into mm-hmm. law. But uh, I think 
that um, by the time this podcast rolls out, I think we'll be pretty close to hearing about our uh, uh, from the legislator whether or not we will be having a veterans hunt this year or next year. And so what the change is, currently we have two zones for waterfowl youth hunts. We have the, the eastern zone, the youth hunt is in November, and the western zone, the, the youth hunt is in February. Mm-hmm. So now we'll just be having a youth hunt and a veterans hunt, and instead of a Saturday, Sunday for each, it'll be Saturdays are for the youth, so one Saturday in November, and it'll be the uh, Saturday before Thanksgiving. And then a, another Saturday will be the second Saturday in February, okay. um, which will be the youth. And then the same thing for the Sunday. The Sunday before Thanksgiving will be for veterans. Sunday, second Sunday in February will be for veterans as well. Okay. And it's statewide instead of in those in the zones. Okay. So uh, kind of, you know, historically the Western Kentucky waterfowl hunt, uh, the youth waterfowl hunt was always in February, and some days it's frozen solid you know yeah. you can't get any oh, kids need, out you know you put all your eggs in one basket to so to feed so um make sure we have the well it's not passed yet so okay. right now the dove guide would be accurate are uh, they in session right now do you know is that they, reason? they were because i passed two house representatives yeah. license plates on the they were i don't remember morning. what yeah. the, i don't remember when they go out but they have been in session yes okay but but that the the, the that legislation i think i mean it was it was very popular i don't anticipate yeah. any any pushback or anything like that so uh, it should go live this we're hoping it goes live this season and maybe we'll have uh as i'm looking at this big poster here that i referenced earlier with all the season dates on it some of the bear info is it says you know check fw.ky.gov because they don't have this finalized either so maybe we can get some resolution to some of our bear dates yeah no that's that's hanging fire yep yep um other things i just wanted to hit on real quick before we uh called it quits for the day unless Wes, you got anything else you want to make sure we get out there no, I think that was Report the last Report your banded one. birds. Uh, don't uh, use cover crops on food plots because that's considered Ooh. baiting. Uh, September 1st for a lot of good waterfowl and migratory bird seasons. And go ahead and start looking for ammo right now. Over yeah. the next month, what can what can hunters do? That's one of the questions I had to get ready. So Other than look for ammo and all right, that. Right. If you do have a private dove field, it's time to prep your field. Okay. Um, so generally, uh, the, about three weeks before season, <clears throat> you want to start mowing. So you're going to mow your crop down. You're going to assess the the bare dirt uh, available. Yeah. So if doves, you don't have bare dirt, you don't have. If you have a lot of crabgrass and whatnot that's come underneath your your crop, doves do not like to go down in the thatch. So you want to run a lightly disc. I mean, you don't have to turn it completely over but you want bare dirt down there so they can still get to the seed. You don't want to bury your seed. It's kind of a fine touch there, but uh, run a disc over it a time or two. Um, do it in stages, especially on a private field. You know, you get to control the hunting dates. So, um, you know, if if your crop got it put in late, you can spray it to get it ready, or you can just harvest it later and, have, you know, you can yeah, save somebody your— Somebody asked me, is it, that's not illegal. If you have sunfire seeds and all that, and you spray it with Roundup at the— Kind of get it to go. That's not illegal. Is no, it? it's not. You can, you, and then a lot of people do that with I've wheat. I've run it over those. And crop farmers did really that. well. Crop farmers will do that with wheat to get wheat ripened quick enough to, you know, they'll 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 spray it a little bit or hit it with salt. A salt water solution works as well. So there's lots of information online to prep your field. But it's time to start gearing up for 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 prepping your field. You want to do that in August, and if you're especially if you want to hunt on September 1st, you won't seed on the ground a couple weeks before dove season or a couple weeks before your hunt. Give the birds plenty of time to to find it, let everything dry down and 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 get ready. Okay. 
good little good little and point public there. field when should you start scouting so right now it's time to, to scout you know doves are going to be in the area or they are not going to be in the area and i'm so, glad you mentioned scouting so a couple years ago we put in a new regulation that you cannot get into our dove fields and it, it falls under our sign regulations you have to follow all signs on wmas so your dove fields are going to have a sign on it that say do not enter august 15th through september 1st sunrise september 1st and the the problem was scouting was just you know you don't think it's a big deal when you go to a wma you're all by yourself and you pull out in a dove field to see the birds and then you leave but then there's another one another scouter and then somebody behind them and you know you're getting 15 or 20 people a day that are flushing doves out of these fields and they just quit using the field yeah and so for two weeks before dove season basically we shut those fields down you can drive up to the parking lots and you know you can stand up use on your, your binoculars yeah check out the trees check out the power lines and whatnot just don't go out in the field leave the feeding birds alone let them get used to being safe in that field okay and so watch for those signs, uh, you know, all public dove fields, you must stay out of them. Our cooperator fields, remember that is private land and is not public land until September 1st. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, after dark, it is not public land. It's only open during hunting hours for yeah. to the public access. You're trespassing if you go on that. Otherwise, and you're don't trespassing. don't clean your birds on the private land. Take don't clean your birds. Take your trash. Pick up your shotgun Isn't that one shells. of our biggest? That's how we lose fields is people cleaning birds and leaving your it trash, It is. Correct? So the private land program, the, the biggest complaint I ever get is the amount of trash left behind. And and, and generally, it's shotgun shells. Hunters, they, they're pretty good about picking up their water bottles, but they, they're little, little Debbie wrappers, but... But the shotgun shells, they just forget. You know, it's it's a little bit harder to look through the weeds. And you you might be one person, but when you put 30, 40, 50 people, oh, yeah. that's quite a bit of trash. I've oh, seen yeah. it. So know. pick up your holes. Take all your trash out of there. Don't leave it on the field. And don't shoot at low birds. Yeah, don't. I've, I've, it feels like rice at a wedding. Yep. I've had it when I've been on public dove fields, and you feel that shot that's been. Most, but I've been lucky. I'm glad it wasn't hot. You Most know. of the time when I pack out my holes, like <clears> after I do dove hunt, I'll have my holes in a Kroger bag or a garbage bag, and then I'll have my doves in the other one, and the one with the holes in it's always much bigger. Oh, oh yeah, no, no one. <laughs> yeah, they're not easy. Seven no. shots per, per bird is the national yeah, average. Wow, number. really? Yep. Seven shots per bird. Yeah, I've heard that before. That's uh, I've, had, I've kept that number in my mind when I'm hunting. Every <laughs> that's expensive meat. So. Yeah, it is. But hey, all and practice some of your shotgun fundamentals. Yeah, it's a great your time. Shotgun properly. Great Don't time stop here. your swing. You know. Yep. Get out and enjoy some some clays action. You know, get get used to just get used to swinging the gun. You can do that at home. You can be sitting on your couch and I do it all the time uh, with an empty gun. Make sure your gun is empty and track your ceiling line. Track your indoor ceiling line, and you pull the trigger when you get to the to the corner and continue through the swing. Just practice form because it's it's instinct when you feel that recoil. And there's there's actually there's apps out there now as well for shooting apps where and I don't know how they work. I don't own them, but I've I've read about a couple different ones where you're target shooting indoors. So can you like put match your phone on your shotgun or something? Well, you either match your your phone to your shotgun or you set your phone up and and there's like a Hmm. A, a piece that goes in your a bluetooth piece that goes in in your gun i can't remember exactly how it works that's but amazing. it's pretty cool they come yep. up with all kinds of stuff <laughs> yeah. that's but that's genius. my biggest sin is i stop my yeah. i feel the recoil i stop the swing i puff the feathers of this but you don't need a app. i mean seriously sit on your couch like you're sitting on a dove stool and track your ceiling line just shoulder your gun and you know follow through your shot i used to do that all the time with my with my bow i'd be watching a you know uh 
Michael Waddell on Monster <laughs> Buck 7 when I was in high school or whatever, and I'd sit there with my bow, and I'd pull back, and I'd aim at the TV. I never sent an arrow through it. I might have dry-fired my bow. My wife doesn't like it when I practice shotgunning in the living room too much. <laughs> yeah, that's something she I She doesn't like my clean my shotguns either. But now that, that that newer stuff doesn't stink as bad as old Hopi's yeah. number seven. But. No, I did, though. I would sit there on the couch with my bow, and I'd shoot every buck they shot on Monster Bucks. <laughs> Those were the good days, man. Back when I, me and my buddy, back before, I mean, before the internet, really even yeah. i sound old man i'm starting to sound old mm-hmm. but back before you know you really even had the internet we'd go get the vhs from walmart when they started putting the hunting stuff out we'd go get the newest monster bucks monster bucks 27 <laughs> and, and we'd pop that thing in and watch it together and then we'd we'd get back together the week before bow season came in and we'd rewatch it we'd skip through the rifle hunts we'd just watch the i've seen on news cassette tapes are coming back i was like why we were there the first time they break huh. they 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 get like wound too tight and then they'll start you know and that, some new technology i'm not with but we did well getting yeah. away from cassette tapes oh yeah <laughs> i mean if a tracks come back i'm gonna pull my hair out because i mean they weren't worth using for target practice uh, well i could really use some of that old technology coming back just so i can access all the old stuff we have here because i've got archives of footage oh. and things back going you know all the way through the 50s and 60s but i don't have anything that'll play them so, and next year we're coming up on our 70th year anniversary for the show. So I would love to be able to go back and pull some of that, that old footage cool. yeah. and use it. So right now I'm trying to figure out how I can get stuff off beta and, you know, mm-hmm. three Yeah, I see all the VHS out here. Yeah. So I've got a lot. Of, I'm going to try to figure that out. But a couple other things I want to run through real quick before we call it quits. Um, things we've done for the show besides goose banding. Um, the goose banding hasn't aired yet. That'll be up very soon. Tim's probably working on it. One of these edit bays right now. He's been... I've watched most of it. It'll be good. But if somebody wants to see more about the molt and how you – one day, Wes, we're going to get a Toyota Corolla. You know, we're going to get 200 geese, and we're going to watch you. <laughs> yeah. That would make a heck of a segment. That would. Okay, if we could – We can use Clark's car, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you get paid the big bucks, baby. Yeah. 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 So we're going to one day watch you put 200 geese in the back of a Corolla. Um, but other things we've done, coming up on this weekend show, we're out with um, – oh, shoot – Evan Fields is a is a kid from Shelby County who is the state's only all-American bass fisherman, yeah. so we fished with him. Uh, kayak frog gigging was something that we did recently that I thought was actually really good, interesting. Because, I mean, all these state-owned huh. lakes have a buffer. Yeah. You know, or U.S. Army Corps has a buffer. You can literally go around those things with a frog gig and, and gig anywhere. That's and a awesome. kayak's great access for a, a lake like— I didn't even thought that's a, that'd be great. They did it on Beaver. Huh. which is a 150-acre lake. If you think about, like, Guest Creek, that's a 300-acre lake. A lot be of a good story. A lot of small lakes really offer great kayak. Well, we used to frog gig on uh, Beach Fork River out of a John boat. I've never done and, it from a boat. All, all we had was a trolling motor. I mean, I'll be gigging Saturday night, but it's the old-fashioned way. Yeah, going to the farm pond with the muck boots. Yep. Well, well, we get in the water. We go to yeah, yeah, shallow ponds. So. All my ponds are too deep, man. It gets stuck out there. Other things we got coming up. We're, we're getting ready for deer season for the show, too, so we put trail cameras out. We're just doing a little trail cam 101 video on this weekend's show. Um, fishing line and knots is what's coming up on this weekend's show, and that's one that you would really like, Lee. Yeah. Um, we talk through mono, fluoro, and braid, the applications for each, show how to use ma- braid mainline to a leader, and show how to tie two different knots, um, the FG knot and the Albright knot. Yeah. And that's really, if you want the most... Is the uni knot and Albright the same? No, I don't think so. Uni's more for fly fishing, I think. Albright. I've used the uni where you make loop, 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 and then they come together. Mm -mm. No, that's not it. 
Albright knot is loop with the with the leader, and then main line goes through the loop once, around six times going up, around six times going back down, and then through, and then you cinch off. And it's hard. For, I mean, nobody who's listening is going to understand what I just said. But well, the uni knot you do, yeah, you have both of them. You do the loop, and then you three, and then you go on the other side. Uh, and yeah. then, then I've you used pull that it one before. It's different. But that, I mean, it's a it's hell for me when I've done it on braid to four. Well, I'm sure it works. Yeah, but the FG knot's the one that the guy that we went out with liked to use, and it's a, a thinner knot that's longer, and the Albright knot's a little bulkier, so if you're trying to cast through your eyelets, it'll get hung up a little bit more. And the uni, I, I've only used the uni for fly fishing, so I'm not sure how it would cast through eyes. But that's, a, like, it basically, if you have your fishing rod set up and you just want it to run like a Ferrari, a braid mainline to a fluoro or mono leader is going to be the way to go. Well, so. that I've used that for mono backing to straight braid. And it'll save you money too. I've done that. I've used the uni knot for that, and it worked pretty well. Well, I, I'm thinking I'm going to go away from backing and just use straight braid because you can literally flip that bell, and you know you there, you can get two years out of a spool of braid if you spool it off one reel onto the other, so you're casting what was your backing before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that way, I don't have to worry about a knot or something. If I do get a fish that goes on a big run and wants to go out 200 yards, you know. I have the line to keep up. But I think I'm going to start going that, that direction. Well, I just did it because, you know. Yeah, you save some spool, line. Yeah, save some money. Save some money. Um, and so, most braids are 150 yards. And, but that's something me and you talked about on the podcast before. When to use mono? When to use fluoro? What braid's good for? So our last issue of the magazine, remember, I interviewed you, and it, it's for subscribers. It's online because we've had a paper shortage, and it's a long story. Yeah. But um, subscribers know about that, but the fishing columns – I yeah. quoted you about, about talk about oh, mono, I saw it. mono braid. Did you read that one? Yeah, I yeah. read it. I read it. It was good. And that's kind of the exact same thing we did the story on. Cool. So that's what's on that this weekend show, that and some Trail Cam 101 type stuff. Um, we've got a lot going on, though. We've They just filmed on the Mississippi River, or the, the Ohio River, down there near the confluence of the Mississippi yesterday. Caught a bunch of catfish. So that'll be coming up. we got a guy going out with uh, our Kentucky wild biologist, and they're doing some bat work in a cave today. Cool. So that'll be coming up. Then we also have our live shows um, right around the corner, and we'll be hunting. And I can't wait to go hunting. Our first hunting trip of the year is going to be with Wes and his pup. All right. It's a little pressure there, Lee. No no, pressure, I, right? I, I know. Especially if you'll be going, why not come out here yeah, when it's ro- 94 ro- degrees? A rookie squirrel dog and a, more <laughs> a rookier <laughs> squirrel hunter. Squirrel no, dog hunter. No, it's a, but that's how you got to get – I mean, that's how it is, man. I go out there and squirrel hunt. I've got a rabbit dog I take squirrel hunting. So that's even worse, right? <laughs> So, now we'll make it work, and it'll be fun. It'll just, we'll throw in all those, dang, it's hot. Yeah, and we'll have they'll come time. natural. That's that's part of squirrel hunting. Yeah, but we'll have Cody <laughs> Roden with us, too, and he can talk to us a little bit about squirrels, I guess. He's more of that. I'm not a real expert on squirrels, you know. I just kind of know, see what they do and know what they are. But I, I was thinking more about squirrels the other day, though. I think that they, because this is going to sound kind of stupid, but I was thinking about how much, a deer or any other animal that lives outside probably notices that us people never ever notice and i really started thinking it because i was with some people who just don't ever spend time outside and it's like they just weren't noticing any of the things that i was noticing and then i was thinking that's probably multiplied for an animal that actually lives outside Mm -hmm. and you know they probably are so keyed into everything that's going on and it kind of made me wonder if like when a deer walked in an area if you know they just kind of could tell something was off mm-hmm. because 
there's supposed to be squirrels out right here and they're they're usually there's squirrels hanging out right here and there's no squirrels here today so you know i just feel like the animals who live outdoors and are always outdoors are probably so much more in tune with what's going on out there they can sense our presence even when oh, they, we yeah. think they have no reason to you know and a lot of people don't know how much how many different vocalizations squirrels have they assume it's another bird and they imitate a lot of things and yeah I've got the one the other night. I was out feeding the birds, and he, I was like, "Oh, that's all." You can see their tails sometimes when they're up there barking at you and yep. vocalizing. Yep. But anyway, guys, I don't really have a whole lot else for today. It's about lunchtime, um, so I'm going to go. Second eat best some time food. of day. <laughs> What's the best time? No, quitting time. <laughs> quitting time. Quitting time. <laughs> I do love lunch. Yeah. All right, guys, what do you say we call it? All right. Unless you want to throw something else in there, Lee. You got well, the Kentucky anything? Field Outdoors columns will be starting up here pretty soon. I'll be writing them all the way through, hopefully, in perpetuity. Um, so they'll be coming here within the next couple of weeks. All right. And we'll be back on, hopefully, here in the next week or two with and, another podcast. And our, we got, we've had three guests lined up. so we're Who are the three again? we got Cody Road and we got uh, somebody from Deer. Yeah, maybe uh, Noel. Yes, Noel. Has, maybe Noel. Has said he would uh, probably the bear stuff. We'll need to talk to him. Whenever the bear And also through. Rachel Young is the, the new director of the Fish and Wildlife Foundation, and, and uh, she would like to come on. Yeah, we can talk to Rachel. That sounds good to me. She's well, been right. on before. And another thing that she told me is she's had a couple of times people come up and recognize her voice. Hey, you are on the podcast. I don't see how I, they would recognize I know. She go, I recognize your voice. She said, I can't believe it. But she I've did had, all the other stuff, though. She did the stuff with, you know, a bunch of videos for Salado. They have to recognize her from that well, stuff. She, he's, she said podcast well i'll take that one we'll Heck not, yeah we'll, we'll take it run to the bank baby <laughs> yeah we'll take it well, thanks all right for guys. having me fellas no problem. thanks it. for coming and i will see you in the woods soon wes and lee i'll see you yes, before too long for another one of these no doubt or we can go creek fishing that, that sounds like the plan right there all right i'll see you guys <laughs>